0: Chapter Fifty One of Queechee by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter Fifty One, the first one that left Queechee. Oh, what is life but a sum of love, and death but to lose it all? Weeds be for those that are left behind, and not for those that fall. Milnes. "'Here's something come, Fletta,' said Barbie, walking into the sick-room one morning, a few days afterwards. "'A great bag of something, more than you can eat up in a fortnight. It's for Hugh.' "'It's extraordinary that anybody should send me a great bag of anything edible,' said Hugh. "'Where did it come from?' said Fletta. "'Philetus fetched it. He found it down to Mr. Sampion's when he went with the sheepskins.' "'How do you know it's for me?' said Hugh.' cause it's written on as plain as a pikestaff i guess it's a mistake though why said fleda and what is it oh i don't much think twas meant for him said barbie it's oysters oysters yes come out and look at em you never see such fine fellows i've heerd say said barbie abstractedly as fleda followed her out and she displayed to view some magnificent ostracians i've heard say that an english shilling was worth two american ones but I never understood it rightly till now. To all intents and purposes, those were English oysters, and worth twice as much as any others, Fleda secretly confessed. That evening up in the sick room, it was quite evening, and all the others of the family were taking rest or keeping Mr. Rossiter company downstairs. Fleda was carefully roasting some of the same oysters for Hugh's supper. She had spread out a glowing bed of coals on the hearth, and there lay four or five of the big bivalves snapping and sputtering in approbation of their quarters in a most comfortable manner and fleda standing before the fire tended them with a double kind of pleasure from one friend and for another those were most odorous oysters hugh sat watching them and her the same in happy simplicity that he had been at eleven years old how pleasant those oysters smell said he they remind me so of the time when you and i used to roast oysters in mrs rennie's room for lunch do you recollect and sometimes in the evening when everybody was gone out you know and what an airing we used to have to give the dining-room afterwards how we used to enjoy them fleda you and i all alone yes said fleda in a tone of doubtful enjoyment she was shielding her face with a paper and making self-sacrificing efforts to persuade a large oyster-shell to stand so, on the coals, as to keep the juice." "'Don't,' said Hugh. "'I would rather the oysters should burn than you. Mr. Carleton wouldn't thank me for letting you do so.' "'Never mind,' said Fleta, arranging the oysters to her satisfaction. He isn't here to see. Now, Hugh, my dear, these are ready as soon as I am." "'I am ready,' said Hugh. How long it is since we had a roast oyster, Fleta! They look good, don't they?" A little stand was brought up between them, with the bread and butter and the cups, and Fleda opened oysters and prepared tea for Hugh, with her nicest, gentlest, busiest of hands, making every bit to be twice as sweet, for her sympathizing eyes and loving smile and pleasant word-commenting. She shared the meal with him, but her own part was as slender as his, and much less thought of. His enjoyment was what she enjoyed though it was with a sad twinge of alloy which changed her face whenever it was where he could not see it. When turned upon him, it was only bright and affectionate, and sometimes a little too tender, but Fleta was too good a nurse to let that often appear. "'Mr. Carleton did not bargain for your opening his oysters, Fleta. How kind it was of him to send them.' "'Yes.' "'How long will he be gone, Fleta?' "'I don't know. He didn't say. I don't believe many days.' "'Hugh was silent a little, while she was putting away the stand and the oyster-shells. "'Then she came and sat down by him. "'You have burnt yourself over those things,' said he sorrowfully. "'You shouldn't have done it. It is not right. "'Dear Hugh,' said Fleda lightly, laying her head on his shoulder, "'I like to burn myself for you. "'That's just the way you have been doing all your life.' "'Hush,' she said softly. "'It is true, for me and for everybody else.' It is time you were taken better care of dear fleda don't dear hugh i am right though said he you are pale and worn now with waiting upon me and thinking of me it is time you were gone but i think it is well i am going too for what should i do in the world without you fleda fleda was crying now intensely though quietly but hugh went on with feeling as calm as it was deep what should i have done all these years or any of us. How you have tired yourself for everybody, in the garden and in the kitchen and with Earl Douglas. How we could let you, I don't know, but I believe we could not help it. Fleda put her hand upon his mouth, but he took it away and went on. How often I have seen you sleeping all the evening on the sofa, with a pale face, tired out. Dear Fleda," said he, kissing her cheek, I am glad there's to be an end put to it and all the day you went about with such a bright face that it made mother and me happy to look at you, and I knew then, many a time, it was for our sakes. Why do you cry so, Fletta? I like to think of it, and to talk of it, now that I know you won't do so any more. I knew the whole truth, and it went to the bottom of my heart, but I could do nothing but love you. I did that. Don't cry so, Fletta. You ought not. You have been the sunshine of the house. My spirit never was so strong as yours. I should have been borne down to the ground I know in all these years, if it had not been for you. And, Mother, you have been her life. You have been tired, too, Fleda whispered. Yes, at the sawmill. And then you would come up there through the sun to look at me, and your smile would make me forget everything sorrowful for the rest of the day, except that I couldn't help you oh you did you did you helped me always Hugh not much I couldn't help you when you were sewing for me and father till your fingers and eyes were aching and you never would own that you were anything but a little tired it made my heart ache oh I knew it all dear Fleda. I am very very glad that you will have somebody to take care of you now that will not let you burn your fingers for him or anybody else it makes me happy you make me very unhappy dear hugh i don't mean it said hugh tenderly i don't believe there is anybody else in the world that i could be so satisfied to leave you with fleda made no answer to that she sat up and tried to recover herself i hope he will come back in time said hugh settling himself back in the easy chair with a weary look and closing his eyes in time for what to see me again My dear Hugh, he will, to be sure, I hope. He must make haste, said Hugh, but I want to see him again very much, Fleda. For anything in particular? No, only because I love him. I want to see him once more. Hugh slumbered, and Fleda by his side wept, tears of mixed feeling, till she was tired. Hugh was right, but nobody else knew it, and his brother was not sent for. It was about a week after this, when one night a horse and wagon came up to the back of the house from the road, the gentleman who had been driving, leading the horse. It was late, long past Mr. Skilcorn's usual hour of retiring, but some errand of business had kept him abroad, and he stood there looking on. The stars gave light enough. "'Can you fasten my horse where he may stand a little while, sir, without taking him out?' "'I guess I can,' replied Philetus, with reasonable confidence." If there's a rope end some place And forthwith he went back into the house to seek it. The gentleman, patiently holding his horse meanwhile, till he came out. How is Mr Hugh tonight? Well, he ain't just so smart, they say, responded Philetus, insinuating the rope's end as awkwardly as possible, among the horse's headgear. I believe he's dying. Instead of going round now to the front of the house, Mr Carleton knocked gently at the kitchen door, and asked the question anew of barbie he's come in sir if you please she said opening wide the door for him to enter i'll tell him you're here do not disturb anyone for me said he i won't disturb em, said barbie in a tone a little though unconsciously significant mr Carleton neglected the chair she had placed for him and remained standing by the mantelpiece thinking of the scenes of his early introduction to that kitchen It wore the same look it had done then. Under Barbie's rule, it was precisely the same thing it had been under Cynthia's. The passing years seemed a dream, and the passing generations of men a vanity, before the old house more abiding than they. He stood thinking of the people he had seen gathered by that fireplace, and the little household fairy whose childish ministrations had given such a beauty to the scene. When a very light step crossed the painted floor, and she was there again before him. She did not speak a word. She stood still a moment, trying for words, and then put her hand upon Mr. Carleton's arm and gently drew him out of the room with her. The family were all gathered in the room to which she brought him. Mr. Rossiter, as soon as he saw Mr. Carlton come in, shrunk back where he could be a little shielded by the bed-post. Marion's face was hid on the foot of the bed. Mrs. Rossiter did not move. Leaving Mr. Carleton on the near side of the bed, Fleda went round to the place she seemed to have occupied before, at Hugh's right hand, and they were all still, for he was in a little doze, lying with his eyes closed, and the face as gently and placidly sweet as it had been in his boyhood. Perhaps Mr. Rossiter looked at it, but no other did just then, except Mr. Carleton. His eye rested nowhere else. The breathing of an infant could not be more gentle the face of an angel not more peacefully at rest. "'So he giveth his beloved sleep,' thought the gentleman, as he gazed on the brow from which all care, if care there had ever been, seemed to have taken flight. Not yet, not quite yet, for Hugh suddenly opened his eyes and without seeing anybody else said, "'Father?' Mr. Rossiter left the bed-post and came close to where Fleda was standing, and leaning forward touched his son's head, but did not speak. "'Father,' said Hugh, in a voice so gentle that it seemed as if strength must be failing. "'What will you do when you come to lie here?' Mr. Roster put his hands to his face. "'Father, I must speak now if I never did before. Once I must speak to you. What will you do when you come to lie where I do? What will you trust to?' The person addressed was as motionless as a statue. Hugh did not move his eyes from him. Father, I will be a living warning and example to you, for I know that I shall live in your memory. You shall remember what I say to you, that Jesus Christ is a dear friend to those that trust in him, and if he is not yours, it will be because you will not let him. You shall remember my testimony that he can make death sweeter than life. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures for evermore. He is better. He is more to me, even than you all, and he will be to you a better friend than the poor child you are losing, though you do not know it now. It is he that has made my life in this world happy, only he, and I have nothing to look to but him in the world I am going to. But what will you do in the hour of death, as I am, if he isn't your friend, father, Mr. Rossiter's frame swayed, like a tree that one sees shaken by a distant wind, but he said nothing. "'Will you remember me happily, father, if you come to die without having done as I begged you? Will you think of me in heaven, and not try to come there, too? Father, will you be a Christian, will you not? For my sake, for little Hugh's sake, as you used to call him. Father?' Mr. Rossiter knelt down and hid his face in the coverings, but he did not utter a word. Hugh's eye dwelt on him for a moment, with unspeakable expression, and his lip trembled. He said no more. He closed his eyes, and for a little time there was nothing to be heard but the sobs which could not be restrained, from all but the two gentlemen. It probably oppressed Hugh, for after a while he said with a weary sigh and without opening his eyes, i wish somebody would sing nobody answered at first sing what dear hugh said fleda putting aside her tears and leaning her face towards him something that speaks of my want said hugh what do you want dear hugh only jesus christ he said with a half smile but they were silent as death fleda's face was in her hands and her utmost efforts after self-control wrought nothing but tears. The stillness had lasted a little while, when very softly and sweetly the notes of a hymn floated to their ears, and though they floated on and filled the room, the voice was so nicely modulated that its waves of sweetness broke gently upon the nearest ear. Jesus, the sinner's friend to thee, lost and undone, for aid I flee, weary of earth myself and sin, open thine arms and take me in. Pity and save my sin-sick soul, Tis thou alone canst make me whole, Dark till in me thine image shine, And lost I am, till thou art mine. At length I own it cannot be That I should fit myself for thee, Here now to thee I all resign, Thine is the work, and only thine. What shall I say thy grace to move? Lord, I am sin, but thou art love, I give up every plea beside, Lord, I am lost, but thou hast died. They were still again after the voice had ceased, almost perfectly still, though tears might be pouring, as indeed they were from every eye, there was no break to the silence, other than a half-caught sob now and then from a kneeling figure whose head was in Marian's lap. "'Who was that?' said Hugh when the singer had been silent a minute. Nobody answered immediately, and then Mr. Carlton bending over him said, Don't you know me, dear Hugh? Is it Mr. Carlton? Hugh looked pleased and clasped both of his hands upon Guy's, which he had laid upon his breast. For a second he closed his eyes and was silent. Was it you sang? Yes. You never sang for me before, he remarked, He was silent again. "'Are you going to take Fleda away?' "'By and by,' said Mr. Carleton gently. "'Will you take good care of her?' Mr. Carlton hesitated, and then said, so low that it could reach but one other person's ear, "'What hand and life can?' "'I know it,' said Hugh. "'I am very glad you will have her. You will not let her tire herself any more.' Whatever became of Fletta's tears, she had driven them away, and leaning forward she touched her cheek to his, saying with a clearness and sweetness of voice that only intensity of feeling could have given her at the moment. I am not tired, dear Hugh. Hugh clasped one arm round her neck and kissed her again and again, seeming unable to say anything to her in any other way, still keeping his hold of Mr. Carlton's hand. I give all my part of her to you. HE SAID AT LENGTH, MR. Carleton, I SHALL SEE BOTH OF YOU IN HEAVEN? I HOPE SO, WAS THE ANSWER, IN THOSE VERY CALM AND CLEAR TONES THAT HAVE A SINGULAR EFFECT IN QUIETING EMOTION, WHILE THEY INDICATE ANYTHING BUT THE WANT OF IT. I AM THE BEST OFF OF YOU ALL, HUGH SAID. HE LAY STILL FOR A WHILE WITH SHUT EYES. FLEDA HAD WITHDRAWN HERSELF FROM HIS ARMS AND STOOD AT HIS SIDE WITH A BOWED HEAD, BUT PERFECTLY QUIET. He still held Mr. Carleton's hand, as something he did not want to part with. "'Fleda,' said he, "'who is that crying? Mother, come here.' Mr. Carleton gave place to her. Hugh pulled her down to him till her face lay upon his, and folded both his arms around her. "'Mother,' he said softly, "'will you meet me in heaven? Say yes.' "'How can I, dear Hugh?' "'You can, dear mother.' said he, kissing her with exceeding tenderness of expression. "'My Saviour will be yours, and take you there. Say you will give yourself to Christ, dear mother. Sweet mother, promise me I shall see you again.' Mrs. Rossiter's weeping, it was difficult to hear. But Hugh, hardly shedding a tear, still kissed her, repeating, "'Promise me, dear mother, promise me that you will,' till Mrs. Rossiter, in an agony, sobbed out the word he wanted— and Hugh hid his face then in her neck. Mr. Carleton left the room and went downstairs. He found the sitting-room desolate, untenanted, and cold for hours, and he went again into the kitchen. Barbie was there for some time, and then she left him alone. He had passed a long while in thinking and walking up and down, and he was standing, musing by the fire, when Fleda again came in. She came in silently to his side, and putting her arm within his laid her face upon it with a simplicity of trust and reliance that went to his heart and she wept there for a long hour they hardly changed their position in all that time and her tears flowed silently though incessantly the only tokens of sympathy on his part being such a gentle caressing smoothing of her hair or putting it from her brow as he had used when she was a child The bearing of her hand and head upon his arm, in time, showed her increasingly weary. Nothing showed him so. "'Elfie, my dear Elfie,' he said, at last, very tenderly, in the same way that he would have spoken nine years before, "'Hugh gave his part of you, to me. I must take care of it.' Fleda tried to rouse herself immediately. "'This is poor entertainment for you, Mr. Carleton, she said, raising her head and wiping away the tears from her face. "'You are mistaken,' he said gently. "'You never gave me such pleasure but twice before, Elfie.' Fleda's head went down again instantly, and this time there was something almost caressing in the motion. "'Next to the happiness of having friends on earth,' he said soothingly, "'is the happiness of having friends in heaven. "'Don't weep any more to-night, my dear Elfie.' "'He told me to thank you,' said Fleda, but stopping short and clasping with convulsive energy the arms she held, she shed more violent tears than she had done that night before. The most gentle soothing, the most tender reproof, availed at last to quiet her, and she stood clinging to his arm still, and looking down into the fire. I did not think it would be so soon, she said. It was not soon to him, Elfie. He told me to thank you for singing— HOW LITTLE WHILE IT SEEMS SINCE WE WERE CHILDREN TOGETHER! HOW LITTLE WHILE SINCE BEFORE THAT, WHEN I WAS A CHILD HERE! HOW DIFFERENT! NO, THE VERY SAME, SAID HE, TOUCHING HIS LIPS TO HER FOREHEAD. YOU ARE THE VERY SAME CHILD YOU WERE THEN, BUT IT IS TIME YOU WERE MY CHILD, FOR I SEE YOU WOULD MAKE YOURSELF ILL. NO, SAID HE, SOFTLY TAKING THE HAND Fleda raised TO HER FACE. NO MORE TONIGHT, Tell me how early I may see you in the morning. For, Elfie, I must leave you after breakfast. Fleda looked up inquiringly. My mother has brought news that determines me to return to England immediately. To England? I have been too long from home. I am wanted there. Fleda looked down again and did her best not to show what she felt. I do not know how to leave you. And now, but I must. There are disturbances among the people and my own are infected, I must be there without delay. "'Political disturbances?' said Fleda. "'Somewhat of that nature, but partly local. "'How early may I come to you? "'But you are not going away to-night. It is very late. "'That is nothing. My horse is here.' Fleda would have begged in vain if Barbie had not come in and added her word, to the effect that it would be a mess of work to look for lodgings at that time of night and that she had made the west room ready for Mr. Carleton, She rejected with great sincerity any claim to the thanks with which Fleda, as well as Mr. Carleton, repaid her. "'There wa not no trouble about it,' she said. Mr. Carleton, however, found his room prepared for him, with all the care that Barbie's utmost ideas of refinement and exactness could suggest. It was still very early the next morning when he left it and came into the sitting-room, but he was not the first there. The firelight glimmered on the silver and china of the breakfast-table, all set, everything was in absolute order, from the fire to the two cups and saucers which were alone on the board. A still silent figure was standing by one of the windows looking out, not crying, but that Mr. Carleton knew from the unmistakable lines of the face was only because tears were waiting another time. Quiet now, it would not be by and by. He came and stood at the window with her. Do you know, he said, after a little, that Mr. Rossiter purposes to leave Queechy? Does he? said Fleda, rather starting, but she added not another word, simply because she felt she could not safely. He has accepted, I believe, a consulship at Jamaica. Jamaica, said Fleda. I have heard him speak of the West Indies. I am not surprised. I know it was likely he would not stay here. How tightly, her fingers that were free, grasped the edge of the window-frame. Mr. Carleton saw it, and softly removed them into his own keeping. He may go there before I can be here again, but I shall leave my mother to take care of you, Elfie. Thank you, said Fleda, faintly. You are very kind. Kind to myself, he said, smiling. I am only taking care of my own. I need not say that you will see me again as early as my duty can make it possible. But I may be detained." and your friends may be gone. Elfie, give me the right to send if I cannot come for you. Let me leave my wife in my mother's care. Fleda looked down and coloured and hesitated, but the expression in her face was not that of doubt. Am I asking too much? he said gently. No, sir, said Fleda. and—but—what is in the way? But it seemed impossible for Fleda to tell him. "'May I not know?' he said, gently putting away the hair from Fleda's face, which looked distressed. "'Is it only your feeling?' "'No, sir,' said Fleda. "'At least, not the feeling you think it is. But I could not do it without giving great pain.' Mr. Carleton was silent. "'Not to anybody you know, Mr. Carleton said Fleda, suddenly fearing a wrong interpretation of her words. "'I don't mean that. I mean somebody else.' "'The person—the only person you could apply to,' she said, covering her face in utter confusion. "'Do I understand you?' said he, smiling. "'Has this gentleman any reason to dislike the sight of me?' "'No, sir,' said Fleda, "'but he thinks he has.' "'That only I meant,' he said. "'You are quite right, my dear Elfie. I, of all men, ought to understand that.' The subject was dropped and in a few minutes his gentle skill had well-nigh made fleda forget what they had been talking about himself and his wishes seemed to be put quite out of his own view and out of hers as far as possible except that the very fact made fleda recognize with unspeakable gratitude and admiration the kindness and grace that were always exerted for her pleasure if her good will could have been put into the cups of coffee she poured out for him he might have gone in the strength of them all the way to England. There was strength of another kind to be gained from her face of quiet sorrow and quiet self-command, which were her very childhood's own. You will see me at the earliest possible moment, he said when at last taking leave. I hope to be free in a short time, but it may not be Elfie, if I should be detained longer than I hope, if I should not be able to return in a reasonable time, will you let my mother bring you out? If I cannot come to you, will you come to me?' Fleda coloured a good deal, and said, scarce intelligibly, that she hoped he would be able to come. He did not press the matter. He parted from her and was leaving the room. Fleda suddenly sprang after him before he had reached the door, and laid her hand on his arm. "'I did not answer your question, Mr. Carleton," she said, with cheeks that were dyed now. "'I will do whatever you please, whatever you think best.' His thanks were most gratefully, though silently, spoken, and he went away. End of chapter 51